0: I would be Lahi Minas Shaytan, Lain, Rajim, Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Wasallah, Allah, Muhammadin, Wa Ali, Hiltahireen. Salamu alaikum, dear brothers and sisters, Wa Rahmatullahi, Wa Barakatuh. I'd like to welcome you all back to another episode of The Life of Prophet Muhammad. In our last episode, we spoke about some of the preparations that were made uh, prior to the Battle of Badr. And one of the most uh, interesting events that takes place on the eve of the Battle of Badr is the slumber that overtook the companions of the Prophet, the Muslim army. Now you can imagine the night before the battle, the Muslims now know that they are going to face off against an army that is three times larger. And it's natural for someone in those circumstances to be filled with anxiety. And one of the great mercies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the Muslim army, upon the Muslims in Badr, is that he he put their hearts at rest and drowsiness overtook them and this is not this was not a natural drowsiness in fact this was a miracle allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alludes to this as we mentioned uh, in our last episode in surah al-an'am verse 11 idh min Allah mentions this as one of His great favors upon the Muslims in Badr. Where He says, remember when He overwhelmed you with drowsiness, giving security from Him. If it was not for this divine intervention, the Muslims would have spent a sleepless night. And they would have been completely physically and mentally exhausted for the battle. But that drowsiness overtook them and they were able to have a restful night. And furthermore, the Qur'an says, Allah also sent down light rain to purify them. For those who, for example, maybe were in a state of janabah, they had sufficient water to purify themselves. وَيُذْهِبَ عَنْكُمْ الشَّيْطَانِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warded off all of those satanic insinuations, you know, those doubts that start to creep into the minds. And that rain, when it fell, it made the sand, the soil firm. And this is another. Uh, great favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the Muslims. You know, they're in a desert and there there's sand beneath their feet. But that rain, when it fell, it made uh, the soil firm for them to stand on. And on the side of Quraysh's army, it became muddy and their feet were sinking into the mud. So all of this, we see that the Qur'an tells us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates the ideal circumstances for the Muslims to gain victory over their enemies. Now, of course, the Battle of Badr, as we mentioned, it took place on the 17th of Ramadan, in the second year after the Hijrah. So in the early morning, the Prophet وآله, he gathered his companions. And among the things that he says to them is, ghuddu أَبْصَارَكُمْ Cast down your gaze. And this, is, this was an important instruction that the Prophet gave to them. And this is perhaps a reference to the idea that don't be fixated on the great numbers of your enemies. Because Quraysh is a thousand strong. They are three times larger in number. They have a numerical majority. So the Prophet ﷺ, to keep them from becoming intimidated, he says to them, cast down your gaze. Don't look. Cast down your gaze. Don't focus on their numbers. And do not initiate the fighting. The Prophet ﷺ, this was his approach to warfare. The Prophet never wanted to be the one to initiate the battle. He says, Don't start, don't shoot an arrow, don't initiate the, the fight. We are here to fight a defensive war. And you see, in the battles of all of the Ma'sunin, Imam al says the same same thing in the Battle of Badr. In the battles that Amir al-Mu'minin fought during his khilafah, he always they always emphasize that we do not want to be the first ones to ignite the the flame of war. The prophet says, Cast down your gaze, do not initiate the fighting, and none of you should speak. Oftentimes when armies are facing off of each other, facing off at each other. Typically, soldiers start to talk, they start to insult, they start using vulgar language. The Prophet ﷺ reminds his companions that this is a sacred struggle. I don't want you to verbally abuse people. Cast down your gaze, do not initiate the fighting, and none of you should speak. Because after all, jihad is a form of ibadah. This is not a time where you need to, you know, launch attacks, verbal attacks against your enemies. Be firm, cast down your gaze. Don't initiate the fighting and do not speak. You should be more. You should be attentive. Listen to my commands. Now we have some historical reports that tell us that after fajr. Quraysh sent its most experienced scout. At this point, Quraysh still does not know, uh, they still don't know how big the the Muslim army is. So they send a man by the name of Umayr ibn Wahab al-Jamhi, who was dispatched by them. And he kind of rode around just to get an idea of the size of the Prophet's army. So, so he, this was his expertise. He could cast a glance around the, uh, the area and he, can get a, he could get a good estimation of how many fighters there were on the battlefield. So he goes, he observes, he makes some observations and he returns to the camp of Quraysh. And he tells them that Muhammad has about 300 men with him. Of course this is good news. It's good news that they that the Muslims are only a third of their numbers. However, Umar tells them, you know, he he looks into the eyes of the Muslims and he tells Quraysh that I looked into their eyes and those young men from Yathrib they are waiting to inflict death upon you. So he he comments on the determination of the young Muslims, especially the young men of Yathrib. He says that these men, the Muslims, have nothing except swords. Meaning they don't have an arsenal of weaponry. They don't have armor, they don't have spears, they don't have javelins. The only thing that stands between them and death are the swords that they carry. So they, have, they understand what is at stake. And he was probably telling them that the most dangerous fighters are the ones who have nothing to lose, are the ones who are desperate. So he says to them, so Umeir, he says, that I don't think that you will be able to kill a single Muslim unless they, they also kill one of our men. Meaning that if you want to kill 300 of them, you have to be willing to suffer, suffer 300 casualties. And this is not good news, obviously. It's, so best case scenario is that you're victorious but you lose a third of your army. Now of course when Abu, when Abu Jahan hears this, he says, Listen, you're a scout. We sent you for a specific job to give us the number of their fighters. We didn't ask for your advice. So Abu Jahl dismisses him. He says, listen, I don't want to hear anything else from you. Meanwhile, the Prophet of course, being a man of peace, the Prophet was not hell-bent on fighting Quraysh. The Prophet he sends an emissary. He sends a messenger to Quraysh. And the message is simple. You know, let us go our way and you go your way. Let's avoid fighting. There is no need for us to fight. When the message reaches Quraysh, when they see that the Prophet ﷺ is not adamant about having a military confrontation, Utbah ibn Rabi'ah of course is relieved. You know, As we mentioned in our last episode, many senior leaders of Quraysh in fact were not interested in fighting. You know Abu Jahl was probably among the few who was adamant about uh, shedding blood. In any case, Utbah, when he when he sees that the Prophet is is not hell bent on fighting, Utzba ibn Rabi'ah, who was of course the, the father in law of Abu Sufyan, the father of Hind, he turns to the Quraysh, the Quraysh's army, and he says, "Ya ma'shar Quraysh." أَوْ قُرَيْشِ أَطِيعُونِ الْيَوْمِ الدَّهَرِ إِلَىٰ مَكَّةِ He says, O Quraysh, listen to me today. If there is a day that I want you to obey me, it's today. Listen to me, just today. And if you want, you can disobey me for the rest of your lives. What does he want to say to them? He says, Go back to Mecca. إِلَىٰ مَكَّةِ وَاشْرَبُ الْحُورِ Go back to Mecca, go drink your wine, embrace your women, enjoy your mistresses, go live your life. There's no need for us to fight. فَإِنَّ مُحَمَّدًا لَهُ You know, After all, Muhammad is a relative. Muhammad is a nephew of yours. So here, Utbah ibn Rabi'ah is evoking these jahili values yes the the arabs of the jahiliya were corrupt but at least they recognized the importance of not killing your own so he says to them that you know there's no need for us to fight this is this goes against our own values if muhammad if muhammad if we leave him and he's attacked by others he got what he deserved and if muhammad becomes victorious you know, after all, he's one of us, and we share in his glory. So here you have a senior member of Quraysh's army explicitly saying that we should go back. Now, another man in the ranks of the Quraysh, who's also quite prominent, also wanted to avoid war. Hakim ibn, Hakim ibn Hizam was one of the, the seniors of of Quraysh, and he was always quite sympathetic towards the Muslims, probably because his son was a Muslim. So you can imagine, Hakim ibn Hazim looks across the battlefield and he sees his own son in the ranks of the Muslims. So obviously he doesn't want to go to war. So when he sees that Utbah ibn Rabi'ah is not inclined to fight. Hakim goes to Utbah ibn Rabi'ah and Hakim knows that from day one Utba did not really want to fight this battle. So Hakim approaches him and he tells him, Oh Utbah, we need to, I want you to help me mediate a truce. Let's come up with a diplomatic solution. Why don't you take on the blood money of Al hadrami now, what is Hakim ibn, uh, ibn Hizam speaking about? If you recall, brothers and sisters, when the Prophet ﷺ authorized the, the caravan raids, and we spoke about this a few episodes ago, there, was, there were a group of six companions who the Prophet sent to observe one of Quraysh's caravans. He did not give them permission to attack it. He just wanted them to collect intelligence. It was a, it was a reconnaissance uh, uh, project. Of course, they took it upon themselves to attack the caravan at, at Nukhayla. And they ended up killing one of the Mushrikeen. And they did it also in the, the month of Rajab. And this is why the uh, that uh, verse was revealed in Surah Al-Baqarah, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala essentially... You know, condemns that act, but he also condemns uh, you know what the Quraysh had done to the Muslims. So the the individual who was killed in that ambush in the month of Rajab by the companions of the Prophet, by those six companions, was Amr ibn al-Hadrami. Now, some of the Quraysh in Badr, they're using that as their battle cry, meaning they're trying to incite their men to fight by shouting that these Muslims, these people who are with Muhammad, they killed Al-Hadrami, they killed one of our own. So we need to take revenge for him. Now Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, he comes forward and he says, listen, if you're uh, you're upset, if you're angry over the death of Amr ibn al-Hadrami, I am willing to pay the blood money. And of course, the concept of blood money was accepted in Jahili culture. So Utbah says, I'll pay the blood money. And it was an exorbitant amount of money. It was a large sum of money. Nonetheless, Utbah ibn Rabi'ah saying, I'm willing to pay it. He's one of the wealthiest men in Mecca. He says, I'll pay the blood money to the families. And, you know, just to prevent any further bloodshed. So, really, the the individuals who are serving as the engine for the Quraysh's army, they're using this incident to, uh, arouse, the, to arouse the emotions of uh, Quraysh's army. Now, Abu Jahl is observing, and you could only imagine, Abu Jahl is fuming. He's seeing that his men, their, their resolve is being weakened. He sees that his men, his army, is wavering. He sees that many of his, uh, his soldiers are contemplating going back to Mecca. So when Abu Jahl sees this, he approaches the brother of the victim, the brother of, of Amr ibn, uh, ibn al hadrami And he says to him that shame on you. You're going to accept blood money. You're going to take gold instead of avenging the murder of your brother. You're you're selling his memory cheap for some gold. You're going to turn a blind eye against those who killed your brother. So he's trying to incite the brother to fight. And of course Abu Jahl, he he knows how to hit below the belt. Abu Jahl also calls Utbah a coward. Perhaps the worst thing that you can say to the the Arabs at this time is to question their bravery, to question their courage, to question their manliness. So Abu Jahl, he says, O Utbah, I see that you don't want to fight. I see that you're trying to persuade everyone to go back to Mecca. Ya Utbah! نَظَرْتَ إِلَىٰ سُيُوفِ بَنِي عَبْدِ It seems that you saw the swords of the sons of Abdul Muttalib and you became cowardly, you became weak. The narration says, فَنَزَلَ Utba عَنْ When Utbah heard Abu Jahl calling him a coward in front of everybody publicly, He came down. The narration says he came down from his camel. That Utsba comes down from his camel in a state of rage and he starts to physically attack Abu Jahl. He essentially starts beating up Abu Jahl and pulling him by his hair. And he says to him, he holds him by his head and he says, You think someone like me is a coward? وستعلم قريش اليوم اينا الاالم today quraish will see will they will know who is vicious who is aggressive and who is cowardly so you see brothers and sisters in a moment utba succumbs to the peer pressure He succumbs to the period. He was about to turn away. And who knows, brothers and sisters, maybe Allah would have given, given him the tawfiq of hidayah. Maybe Allah would have guided him for choosing not to fight the messenger of God. But because of a comment by Abu jahl because of his ego, he makes the most destructive decision of his life. That he chooses to stay. And not only that, he tries to show off. Abu Jahl calls him a coward. Now he wants to prove to Abu Jahl that he's not a coward. Who's Abu Jahl? Who cares what Abu Jahl says? But this, this is the nature of some people. They want to impress others. So he comes forward and in fact he is the f- among the first to get killed in the Battle of Badr, And he loses his akhirah because of a comment by Abu Jahad. Now, of course, we'll speak about the, the Mubaraza that takes place, but before that, it's it's noteworthy to mention that before the battle began, the Prophet told his army that there are a couple of people who they should not kill. Number one is Al Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet. And the second was a man by the name of Abu al bakhtari ibn Hisham. And this individual, this man, was in, played an instrumental role in suspending the boycott against Bani Hashim in Mecca. So the Prophet he says that these individuals should be protected, do not kill these men. And this shows you, brothers and sisters, that the Prophet understood that not everyone who stands against Islam and the Muslims are the same, is the same. Not everyone is like Abu Jahl. There are some people who are being coerced to participate. There are some people who, who are brought against their will. There are some people who might have been brainwashed. So it's important for us, even when we look at those who are hostile towards Islam, not all of them are the same. Not all, of, not all people who stand against Islam and Muslims are like Abu Jahl. Some of them are victims of propaganda, others are coerced, they're there because of social pressures. So the Prophet ﷺ, he has this nuanced approach even with his enemies. He knows that there are, there are enemies who are, who are like Abu Jahl, who are die-hard enemies whose hearts are sealed. And there are people who have potential to be guided. Now, interestingly, the first person to die in the Battle of Badr was a man from the clan of Abu Jahl. And he actually didn't die uh, during the actual battle. This man is al-Aswad ibn Abdul Aswad al-Makhzumi. So the clan of Abu Jahl is Banu Makhzum And this man, it seems that this took place on the eve of the battle or the morning of the battle. So when Quraysh came to the battlefield, they saw that the Muslims had control over the water supply. So this man tries to sneak behind the, the Muslim army to access the wells. And of course, Quraysh, you know they had plenty of supplies as is, but none the case. It was probably his way of trying to cut off water from the Muslims. So he attempts to sneak into the side where there were the wells, but Hamza he captures him, he sees him, and Hamza strikes him, and he cuts his leg off, and he ends up dying before he reaches the water. So and so this incident took place. Uh, probably in the early morning hours uh, before the battle. So this was actually the first casualty on the day of Badr. So Utbah comes forward. After Abu Jahl calls him a coward, the narration says, وَتَقَدَّمَ وَأَخُوهُ وَابْنُهُ الْوَلِيدُ Three men come forward. Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, his brother, the brother of Utbah, Sheiba, and his son, and the son of Utbah, Al-Walid, Al-Walid ibn Utbah, and they come forward to engage in what is called in what is called Mubaraza. You know, in ancient times, the way that battles would take place is that at the beginning, beginning of the battle, both sides would send their top-tier fighters. And There would be face-to-face combat between a few of them, and then the battle would begin. Then the two armies would clash. And this mubaraza was done because it was an intimidation tactic, meaning that an army would showcase, would present their most fierce fighters to instill fear in the rest. And one of the benefits, if you are able to win that Mubaraza, is that you, if you are able to kill the top-tier fighters, it demoralizes the others. And if you're on the winning side, if your side of the army, if your army is the army that that, that won during the Mubaraza, it would give you a morale boost. Now, typically, the leaders of both sides would not engage in the Mubaraza, but definitely the first-tier Fighters would do so. So Utbah, Sheiba, and Al-Walid—of course, these are some of the most famous warriors among Quraysh. They are what we would call top-tier fighters. They come forward, and Utba shouts. So you can imagine several hundred feet—you know, a couple hundred feet—separating the the two armies, and Utba shouts towards the the camp of the Prophet. Wanada, so Wanada, Ya Muhammad, O Muhammad, Ukhruj ilayna akfa'ana min Quraish. O Muhammad, send us our equals from Quraysh. Our equals meaning send us your top fighters, send us tier one fighters. فَبَرَزَ إِلَيْهِ ثَلَاثَةُ نَفَرٍ مِّنَ الْأَنْصَارِ مِّنْ بَنِي عفراء. Now some of the the younger uh, men in the army of the Prophet, they were very anxious to fight. So three men, when they heard Utbah shouting to the Prophet to send their equals, three young men from the Ansar, they come forward. And the historians mention that they're from the, the clan of Banu Afra. And their names are mentioned by historians. Awf ibn al-Harith, Mu'awwad ibn al-Harith, and Abdullah ibn Rawaha. Now when these men come forward, Utbah of course, because of the distance, he can't see their faces. He doesn't know who they are. فَقَالْ utba مَنْ أنتم? He says, who are you? he sees three men, three young men come forward he says who are you intasibu tell us your lineage so we may know who you are so you see the importance of lineage in the culture of the arabs you know if they want to know who you are they all, they want to know who your forefathers are. do you come from a line of warriors and fighters because Yes, military prowess is part skill, but it's also part genetics. You know, some people just have it in them. They have this natural ferociousness and courage in the battlefield. So yes, sword fighting can be learned. Some of the techniques in battle can be learned, but there is a large element of it that is genetic. So they, so Utbah says, in tassibu, who is your lineage? Who are your forefathers? So we know. So they say, فَقَالُوا Nahnu بَنُوا Afra, We are Bano Afra. أنصار, أَنصارُ الله وَأَنصارُ Ansaru اللَّهِ We are Bano Afra. We are the helpers of God. And we are the helpers of His Messenger. Of course, Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, these are people that, that they know genealogy. They know which clans are famous for their valor and their courage. Utbah says, irji'u, go back. Lesna We don't want to fight someone like you. Innama akfaa min Quraish. We want to fight with people who can match up against us. People who are equal to us in fighting skill, in bravery, in courage. We want to fight our equals from Quraysh. When the Prophet hears this, the Prophet realizes that okay, he has to send, you know, as we say, he has to pull out the big guns. Fumma Navara Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ammihi ubaidh ibn harth ibn al Muttalib. Wakan alohu sabunas the Prophet. He looked towards his uncle, not his literal uncle but one of the elders of his family Ubayd ibn Al-Harith ibn Muttalib. Who was 70 years old and the prophet of course the way that mubaraza would work is that they would match people who are who were close in age. So Utbah ibn Rabi'a is an old man, you know he's probably in his 60s. Sheba is a little bit younger and Al-Walid is a youth, he's in his 20s or his 30s. So the Prophet needs to select a top-tier fighter to fight an older man. So he chooses Ubaidah ibn al-Harith, who is 70 years old. And Ubaidah, his grandfather, is Muttalib, who is the uncle of Abdul Muttalib. So Ubaidah was the Prophet's father's second cousin. So he's a relative of the Prophet. So he's not from Ben-Hashim, but he's He's Qurayshi. So the Prophet says, قُمْ يَا Ubaidah, stand up. فَقَامَ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ safe, So he stands up, he unsheathes his sword, and he's ready to fight. So who's the next one that the Prophet selects? The Prophet then glances at Hamza. So imagine the Muslims are standing in rows. The Prophet now is picking out his best fighters. He looks at Hamza. So he needs someone middle-aged now to fight against Shayba. So Ubaidah has been matched up with Utbah. He needs someone middle-aged, Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib. The Prophet says, Oh my uncle, stand. Immediately Hamza stands. This is his nephew. But Hamza obeys the Prophet as if the Prophet is his elder. Hamza stands, he's ready. ثُمَّ نَظَرَ إِلَىٰ أَمِيرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Now the Prophet needs a younger fighter who can match Walid. Of course, there is none other than Amir al-Mu'mineen, Ali ibn Abi Talib, who is in his early 20s. he's about 23 years old on the day of Badr. ثُمَّ نَظَرَ إِلَىٰ أَمِيرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ فَقَالَ لَهُ عَلِي Oh, Ali, stand! وَكَانَ أَصْغَرُهُمْ Ali was the youngest of them. He was the youngest of the group. So he was even younger uh, perhaps even then, Al-Walid. Uh, so then the Prophet assigns each of them to a fighter. Ubaidah is, is is told that you're going to fight Utbah. Hamza is told you're going to fight Shaybah. and Ali is told you're going to fight Walid. So they come forward. So you can imagine the Muslim army. Three fighters come forward. Now again because of the distance because of the gap between the two armies Utbah could not make out their faces Utbah could not see who are these 3 new fighters that have that have come forward who are being sent by the prophet So again he asks he shouts out men entum? Who are you? Intasibu Tell us your lineage so we may know who you are So Ubaida begins. فَقَالَ Ubaidah Anna Ubaida Ibn al Harith Ibn al Muttalib. I am Ubaida, the son of Al Harith, the son of Muttalib. Utba, when he hears this, he says, Kufun كَرِيم this you are a noble equal to us. So Utbah is satisfied. So this shows you that. Utbah knows that Ubaidah ibn al-Harith is a fighter. He's a great warrior. So he says, challenge accepted. Utbah then asks, who are the two who are with you? Ubaidah says, Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib and Ali ibn Abi Talib. The two who are with me are these two. Faqala Utbah, Kariman. Those two are also noble equals. So Utba again he gives us another hint that he doesn't want to do this. So he says, May God curse the one who made us stand against each other. Probably a reference to Abu Jahl and the Prophet. Allah. There's a very interesting conversation that takes place between Hamza and Shayba. Shayba, as, I, as I've mentioned, is the younger brother of Utba. So the six men, they come close to each other. They're now standing a few meters away. They're about to engage in face-to-face combat. So Ali is facing al Walid, Ubaidah is facing Utba, and Hamza is facing Shayba. وَوَقَفَ بِإِذَاءِ فَقَالَ لَهُ Shayba, he asks Hamza, من أنت? who are you? Perhaps he, you know, Shayba was trying to get into Hamza's head. He was trying to, you know, belittle him. Meaning like, who who do you think you are? Hamza, he says, who am I? أنا Hamza ibn, ibn I am Hamza. The son of Abdul Muttalib, Asadullah wa Asad I am the Lion of God and I am the Lion of His Messenger. Sheba, he says that you're the Lion of God. He says to him that today you have encountered the Lion of the Jungle. So Sheba is referring to himself. He says, I am the lion of the jungle, and let's see how you fight, O Lion of God. Now, as you know, brothers and sisters, Ubaidah, Hamza, and Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, they are all able to kill their opponents. Of course, Ubaidah ibn al-Harith is fatally wounded, and Hamza and Ali, they come to his rescue and they finish off Utbah. And because Ubaidah is fatally wounded, Hamza and Ali ibn Abi Talib, they carry Ubaidah off of the battlefield. And they take him to the Prophet. So, the narration says, when they brought the body of Ubaidah, and he was still alive, he was bleeding heavily, and they knew that they could not stop the bleeding. He He was mortally wounded, essentially. فَنَظَرَ إِلَيْهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ وَاسْتَعْبَرُ The narration says when the Prophet saw that Ubaidah, his beloved relative, was fatally wounded, استعْبَرَ Meaning the Prophet's eyes filled with tears. فَقَالَ Ubaidah, Ubaidah said to the Prophet, يَا Bi Abi بِأَبِي أَنْتَ ummi, alastu Shahida. Ubaidah says, Ya Rasulullah, may my mother and my father be sacrificed for you. This was an expression of great devotion. He asked the Prophet that, am I, am I going to be a martyr? Am I considered a martyr? Look at the, the faith of this man. He's in his last moments and he wants confirmation from the Prophet that he will meet Allah as a shaheed. So the Prophet وآله, says, بَلَا أَنْتَ أَوَّلُ شَهِيدٍ مِنْ أَهْلِ بَيْتِي Yes, indeed you are a martyr. In fact, you are the first martyr from my family, from among my relatives. There's an interesting narration here. It's This is mentioned in both Sunni and Shia sources that Iblis participated in the battle of badr waja the narration says waja iblis ila quraish fi surat suraq ibn malik fa qala lahum idfa'u ilayya rayatukum fa so narration say that iblis la'anahu allah he took the form of a man by the name of Suraqa ibn Malik who was on Quraysh's side. And he requested to hold Quraysh's standard. Now, I don't know what the deal is with this guy, but Iblis decided to take on uh, his form. Now, of course, if you're a satanic person, you know, this is possible. He's not Iblis is not going to take the form of awliyaullah or take the form of prophets, but it seems that you know, he's able to take uh, the human form of people who he wishes who have inclinations towards evil. In any case, he takes the form of this man. So, the one who was holding the flag of Quraysh on the day of Badr, even though if you look at him, it's Surak ibn Mar, but it, it is actually Iblis in the form of this man. Now, the Prophet, of course, again, he emphasizes to his men the need to maintain discipline. Battles can only be won if the fighters are disciplined. And he told them not to unsheath their swords until he gives the command. And of course, the Prophet ﷺ, again, throughout the battle, he was praying on the eve of Badr, on the day of Badr, he's praying, and he says, O Lord, if this band of men is destroyed, you will no longer be worshipped. But if you wish, not to be worshipped, then you will not be worshipped. Now, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Of course, be- because of the weight of the responsibility, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi was was in the middle of his the the army. He's giving orders, trying to keep everybody in line, and revelation descends upon the Prophet during the Battle of Badr. Now, of course, when revelation descends upon Rasulullah when he is awake, because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also communicates to His Prophets uh, sometimes through dreams, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he feels faint for a moment, and then he tells his men, some of them see that the Prophet looks like he's about to collapse, but he tells them that Jibrail has arrived. ...with a thousand angels to aid them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in the Qur'an. So the Muslims in Badr were supported by a thousand mala'ika, a thousand angels. So even though Quraysh, if you look at it just from a, through a material lens, through a dunyawi lens, yes, they have a majority. They have three times the numbers of the Muslims. But if you were to see Alamul ghaib if people were to see the world of the unseen, they would say, No, there are three there are three hundred and thirteen Muslims, but there are a thousand angels. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Remember when you asked help of your Lord? فَاسْتَجَابَ لَكُمْ أَنِّي مُمِدُّكُمْ بِأَلْفٍ مِّنَ مُرْدِفِينَ Remember when you asked help of your Lord and He answered you? Indeed, I will reinforce you with a thousand from the angels following one another. And of course, brothers and sisters, it's important to remember that angels are incredibly powerful beings. Jibreel by himself... He flipped the villages of Sodom and Gomorrah by himself with one of his wings. A thousand angels, this is tremendous power that is being given to the Muslims. And then Allah speaks to those angels. In verse number 12 of Surah Al An'am, Remember when your Lord. Revealed when he inspired the angels, enni maakum. So Allah says, I am also with you, I am also with the angels. Allah says to the angels, I am with you. So strengthen those who have believed, fortify the hearts of the mu'minin. Allah then says I will cast terror in the hearts of those who disbelieved I will make their hearts fill with filled with fear and when you're afraid when you're panicking you can't fight you become completely paralyzed Allah says to the angels strike them upon the necks and strike from them every fingerprint So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that yes, even though what we see is that the Muslims are striking, but in fact it is the mala'ika, the angels are aiding the, the believers in their fight against the Mushrikeen. And in the middle of the battle, as the battle is about to begin, you know, before the two armies clash, you know, after the Mubaraza, after Ali Hamza they they kill utba shaiba and al walid the prophet sallallahu he he kneels down he picks up some pebbles and he throws it at he throws it in the direction of Quraysh's army and he says shahetul wujuh may these faces be cursed and every single person in the army of Quraysh felt blinded by those pebbles that the Prophet threw, even though the Prophet was far away. And indeed, this is is one of the miracles of the day of Badr, that with those few pebbles, with that dirt and sand, the Prophet was able to at least temporarily blind the mushrikeen. And this is where Allah mentions it in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-An'am, Verse eight seventeen, uh, verse seventeen, Surah number eight. وَمَا رَمِيتَ إِذْ رَمَيْتَ اللَّهَ رَمَى And it was not you, O Muhammad, who threw that handful of sand at the disbelievers, but it was God who did so. Allah Azza wa Jal. He paralyzed them. He he blinded them through your hands. So after this, the two armies clash and the battle officially begins and inshallah in our next episode we will talk, we will speak about the uh, the fall of abu jahal and umayyah ibn khalaf and the aftermath of the battle of badr thank you so much brothers and sisters for tuning in i look forward to having you join me in our upcoming episodes of the life of prophet muhammad Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh